the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the, what is it, Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. You know, you're always a little off when there's a holiday at the start of the week. Hey, we're glad to have you with us here in Portland at 93.9 KPDQ and in Seattle at 820 AM, The Word. Coming up this hour, we'll talk with uh, Alex McFarland. We'll talk about youth culture, or I should say he is a youth culture and religion expert. We're going to talk about the criminalization of misgendering. Some suggest in the younger generations that that ought to be the case. We'll talk with him about that uh, later in the program. And here in Portland, for those of you who are still with us at 530, Jennifer Usselman will join us. She's the president of Clackamas County's Coming Hope's Garden, a home for life in Oregon City. It's the first pregnancy resource center uh, in the Clackamas County area. She'll join us to talk more about that and explain what uh, we might anticipate. We'll also talk about the uneven J6 punishments and a prophetic message concerning the 2024 elections. Keep your eyes on the prize and the one who is in charge of it all. Anyway, that's coming up in the uh, latter part of today's program. By the way, you can go to the KPDQ podcast if you want to hear that last hour, if something is appealing to you and you are in the Seattle area. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, Hunter Biden is expected to be indicted on a federal gun charge by the end of September. That, according to special counsel David Weiss, his team told the U.S. District Judge uh, Mary Ellen Norica on Wednesday. The judge had set Wednesday as a deadline to hear from both sides about how to move forward on the diversion agreement that uh, would have allowed Hunter Biden to avoid jail time for a felony charge of lying on a federal form when purchasing a firearm back in 2018. The expected charges uh, come after an original plea agreement collapsed back in July. Hunter Biden was expected to plead guilty in July to two misdemeanor tax counts of willfully willful failure to pay federal income tax as part of a plea deal to avoid jail time on a felony gun charge. But Norica, the judge of the U.S. District Court from the District of Delaware, declined to accept that plea and pretrial diversion agreements with the uh, president's son during his first court appearance related to federal tax and gun charges he faces. She describes the Department of Justice deal as unconstitutional, not standard, and different from what I normally see. Hunter Biden was forced to plead not guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges and one felony gun charge. Since then, Attorney General Merrick Garland, he's uh, tapped Weiss to serve as special counsel with the jurisdiction over the Hunter Biden investigation and any other issues that have come up or may come up related to that probe. Also, a federal judge ruled today that Donald Trump is liable for making the defamatory statements against E. Jean Carroll in 2019, leaving it to a jury to determine how much the former president should pay in damages. In May, a Manhattan jury found uh, Trump liable for battery and defamation after Carol, a former New York City gossip columnist, accused the former president of sexually assaulting her in a department store in the 90s. The jury in that case found that Trump defamed Carol when he called her allegations a hoax on his social media platform, 
Truth Social in 2022. At the time, the panel awarded her $5 million judgment at the time in combined damages. I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. This verdict is a disgrace, he went on to say. A continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. The former president wrote on the network minutes after the verdict was publicized. The second Carroll case revolves around statements Trump made three years earlier when the former journalist first came forward with her story. The presiding justice, Lewis Kaplan, ruled in his Wednesday order that the earlier guilty verdict will inform the second defamation lawsuit initially set to begin on January 15th of 2024 in the Big Apple. The date coincides with the crucial Iowa Republican caucus vote. Well, the jury found that Mr. Trump knew that his statement that Miss Carroll lied about him sexually assaulting her for improper and ulterior purposes was false and that he acted with a reckless disregard to whether it was false. Kaplan wrote in a legal filing whether Mr. Trump made the 2019 statements with actual malice raises the same issue. End quote. Well, the new Wall Street Journal national poll over the the Labor Day weekend, rather, has shaken some observers' views of the 2024 Republican presidential campaign. The bottom line, it's no longer a two-man race between former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump has pulled so far ahead and DeSantis has fallen so far behind that it's now inaccurate to characterize the two as locked in a head-to-head battle. The numbers, Trump was the choice of 59% of poll respondents, while DeSantis was the choice of 13%. After DeSantis came former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley at 8% and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy at 5%. In an earlier Wall Street Journal poll in April, Trump led DeSantis 48 to 24%, a 24-point lead. Now it's 59 to 13, a 46-point lead. What was once a two-man race for the nomination has collapsed into a lopsided contest in which Trump, for now, has no formidable challenger, the journal went on to write. There are no foreseeable events in the next few months that will change that dynamic. That means the possible game-changing comes next year at two times. One is um, when voting starts in the Iowa caucuses on the 15th of January. The other was when the first of Trump's many criminal trials begins, possibly on March the 4th. When the voting starts is when Republicans have to stop thinking about the race in terms of a distant decision and start thinking about it as a commitment that they have to make right now. Sometimes the preferences they have uh, uh, they have relate to pollsters in the preceding months don't survive. For example, in uh, 2007, rather, in 2008, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani led the Republican race the whole way from the earliest polls in February of 2007 to the eve of the Iowa caucuses in January of 2008. At that point, with voting underway, Giuliani collapsed. On the 30th of of January 2008, he was out of the race. But there are big differences between Giuliani then and Trump now. Giuliani was popular among Republicans as a former big city mayor, but Trump is on an entirely different level as a former president and proven vote-getter with Republicans nationwide. There is simply no comparison between the two, plus Giuliani's biggest lead over the fall Uh, The full field of um, in the real clear politics average of national polls was 14.6 points. Trump is currently up by 39.3 points, a lead that has more than doubled in the last few months. We're going to take a break, but we'll continue to take a look at uh, Donald Trump and the uh, 2024 elections and the coming ordeal. 
We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Again, coming up later this hour, Alex McFarland. He's a youth, culture, and religion expert, the director of the Alex McFarland Ministries, and creator of the Viral Truth Club. He's the co-author of 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, Practical Insights. We're going to talk about the crime of misgendering, which many suggest ought to be Punitive. Anyway, we'll get into that later in this hour. We were talking about Donald Trump and the coming ordeal. It seems pretty clear at this moment that the far bigger threat to Trump is the coming legal onslaught. Right now, Trump's trial on federal charges related to the uh, 2020 election on January 6th is scheduled to start in Washington on the 4th of March, the day before Super Tuesday. What difference will that make? We don't yet know. On the 25th of March, his trial on charges brought by a local prosecutor in New York is scheduled to start. On May 20th, his trial on federal charges related to his handling of classified documents is scheduled to begin in Florida. Unscheduled so far is the trial on charges brought by a local prosecutor in Atlanta over the 2020 election. And that doesn't count the various lawsuits that Trump will have to fight in the 2024 as well. It's hard to imagine now how taxing that schedule or similar schedule, if some dates change, will be for a presidential candidate. The prosecutions will drain Trump's time, his energy, his money at a time when he's uh, most going to need all three. And many of his supporters, energized by his defiant stance toward his accusers, simply haven't fully envisioned what will happen. Perhaps Trump himself hasn't either. Well, in his interview last month with Tucker Carlson, he was asked, or rather Trump was asked, um, how do you get in, uh, indicted every week and stay cheerful? I think it is a lot easier because I'm so high in the polls, Trump answered, because it means that people get it. The people see it's a fraud, end quote. Well, maybe Trump can remain cheerful now, although there are plenty of reports supported by common sense that suggest he's deeply upset by the indictments. And some of his supporters are thrilled by the public bravo that he, the bravado rather that he's uh, shown in his face uh, in the face of uh, one charge after another after another. But think about next year. A thought. You know how Ukraine valiantly fought back when a vastly superior Russian force invaded in February of 22? Ukraine's grit led to cheers worldwide, lots of financial and military aid, and the hope that maybe, just maybe, the little guy could defeat the mighty Russian machine. But there was no quick Ukrainian victory, even when Russian forces showed stunning incompetence. And then time dragged on as it continues. The Russian machine kept grinding and grinding and grinding. Now the best one can say of Ukraine's position is that it's holding on. The firepower and numerical superiority of Russia has in time ground down Ukrainian defenses. And by the way, earlier today, the United States declared another billion dollars in support of Ukraine. Well, back to the subject. Trump supporters cheer as he resists one indictment after another. They say his support is rising, even as Democratic district attorneys and Biden special counsels throw everything at him that there is. Is it possible that he could defeat the mighty prosecution machine? Well, next year is the year when time drags on and the machine keeps grinding and grinding and grinding. Perhaps Trump can hold on, but the toll will be terrible. The prosecution machine will impose crippling costs on Trump's daily life, on his campaign, on his bank account. It wouldn't be surprising to see him spend everything he has, uh, everything that he's raised for his campaign on his legal bills instead. And in the end, with four indictments and 91 felony counts so far, the machine will Convict him of something, perhaps a lot of some things. Well, what will um, 
What will that do to Trump's support? Well, certainly many of his most devoted supporters will become even more devoted as they watch the spectacle of his trials. But others, less devoted supporters, might well be ground down along with Trump. At some point, they might decide it's just not worth it. Trump's adversaries, they will realize, will never, ever quit. Should they, his supporters, keep fighting? Well, so... Yes, Trump has a huge lead today, so much so that the Republican nomination race no longer seems to be a contest. But 2024 is coming, and perhaps Trump will manage to maintain his dominance in the GOP even then, but it will be an ugly, protracted, and unimaginably costly fight. Well, it will be something to see. Um, I'm not predicting the outcome, but just trying to imagine what is, uh, is ahead when these things actually come to fruition. Well, late-term abortions, uh, abortionists apparently are continuing, and pro-life protesters are facing prison for pointing it out. Police have confirmed an abortionist who appears to have illegally performed partial birth abortions will be allowed to continue with no criminal investigation. The same week, peaceful pro-lifers who staged a protest at his abortion facility were found guilty in federal court and face imprisonment. According to the Daily Signal, the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department said Thursday they're not actively investigating abortionist Cesar Santangelo, whom pro-life activists have accused of performing gruesome abortions of viable babies. The Federalist also asked the Federal Bureau of Investigation if it was investigating uh, Santangelo, but the agency refused to answer. These pro-lifers, however, will most certainly face jail time. Well, on Wednesday, that was just... Well, today, September the 6th, Coach Joe Kennedy, who won his Supreme Court battle last year after a long fighting for his right to take a knee on the football field and say a prayer after high school football games in Bremerton, Washington, announced that he is resigning from his assistant coaching position. His resignation is effective immediately, and Kennedy, who moved to Florida with his wife, Denise, not long ago, will be devoting himself to the care of an ailing family member, according to a release that was shared on Fox News Digital. He cited that as one of the reasons for his decision. Just a few days ago, Coach Kennedy told the same news source in an on-camera interview that there might be some new things in store for him in the near future, now that he's fought the good fight over the past eight years and seen his story through. Kennedy said, I believe I can best continue to advocate for constitutional freedom and religious liberty by working from outside the school system. So that is why I w- that is what I will do, he said, in part on Wednesday in the release about his news. I will continue to work to help people understand and embrace the historic ruling at the heart of the case he went on to say so coach kennedy oversaw the victory of his team uh, this past week and now he is stepping aside to continue in other areas of ministry well scientists apparently grew a human embryo in a lab without sperm egg or a womb scientists report that they've grown the early stages of a human embryo like entity embryo like um, entity without using sperm and egg or a womb The embryo model even um, releases hormones that triggered a positive pregnancy test. However, the purpose of the embryo is to provide an ethical way of monitoring early human development. Synthetic embryos would not be allowed to progress beyond a matter of weeks. During the first 14 days of an egg um, fertilized, uh, the nascent embryo undergoes dramatic changes. It is at that point uh, that myriad developmental disorders and birth defects can arise. But the, the cause of these poorly 
these is poorly misunderstood. The first two weeks are also a major source of miscarriage. Well, speaking to BBC co-author Professor Jacob Hanna from the Wiseman Institute of Science said, it's a black box and that's not a cliche. Our knowledge is very limited. End quote. Across the world, uh, teams are racing to develop better ways to understand this crucial time. Earlier this year, a team from the University of Cambridge and California Institute of Technology created synthetic embryos using only sperm cells. The latest breakthrough published in the journal Nature also used stem cells. And the team describes um, their results as the first complete embryo model, one that mimics key cells and structures throughout the first two weeks of development. These are not capable of developing into viable human beings, but it does use some of the stuff of which life originates. But it has to use stuff that has already been provided by the one who created it all. Well, the Indian government is replacing the nation's usual name with an older Sanskrit term in official media, prompting questions about plans to make an official change. In a dinner invitation sent to G20 summit attendees, Prime Minister Narandi Modi was referred to as Prime Minister of Bharat, signaling an unprecedented eagerness to leave behind the term India. India and Bharat are considered interchangeable terms within the country, but both domestically and internationally. India is the much more widely used name for the nation. The use of Bharat and its B-H-A-R-A-T on official international invitations signals that Modi's Hindu nationalist movement is seeking to leave the term India behind. An aesthetic decision many of his supporters see as an important um, move from decolonization. Rather interesting Bharat. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Joining us up next, Alex McFarland, youth and culture and religion expert, will be talking about the crime of misgendering, which some are suggesting should, in fact, move forward. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a recent study revealed that nearly half of millennials believe that misgendering a person, referring to someone by the wrong gender pronoun, he, him, she, her, should be a criminal offense. The poll found that 44% of adults aged 27 to 42 believe that identifying someone by their biological gender, which is actually sex, should be illegal, while only 33% of Gen Z, age 18 to 26, believe misgendering should be illegal. This push for punishment comes as many are being forced to curtail their beliefs to the woke agenda in fear of losing their jobs or being reprimanded for upholding biological common sense. Well, joining us to talk about the criminalization of misgendering is Alex McFarland. He's a youth culture and religion expert. He's a leader of the Alex McFarland Ministries, creator of Viral Truth Clubs, and co-author of 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, Practical Insights. He talks with us today about misgendering as a crime. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be on your program. This is such a peculiar phenomenon that's sweeping the country, and I, I'm not even sure beyond, uh, but I think it's left a lot of people wringing their hands. They may have a clear understanding of the difference between one's chosen gender and one's biological sex, but how to navigate where language is being so dramatically shifted uh, can be somewhat confusing. Your thoughts on this phenomenon and uh, the criminalization of getting it wrong from that perspective? 
Well, well, thank you so much uh, for having me on, and thank you for the courage in addressing such a serious issue because the rise of, of transgenderism and the rise of people with gender dysphoria and now the politicizing of this and as, you know, the, the ever-lengthening acronym of LGB and then LGBT and LGBTQ trans and then 2S, LGBT. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And what's um, troubling, I mean, as a Christian, I'm concerned, but really as a constitutionalist citizen, I'm very concerned that the, the, the alphabet people, the 2S LGBTQ trans plus plus ad infinitum, they're gaining political clout and their gender dysphoria, gender confusion, uh, same-sex ideation, pan-sex ideation, all of, you know, all of the confusions. It, it is a psychological problem. It's becoming a political problem, but at its foundation, it's a spiritual problem. And what's so troubling, I mean, there are many things, but the the idea that someone might accidentally or intentionally uh, refer to someone by a gender pronoun that is not a person's chosen, you know, identification, the idea that that would be a crime and that the idea that citizens, educators, clergy, physicians be legally compelled to speak things that rational adults know aren't true, that's not a Judeo-Christian constitutional republic. That's a fascist totalitarian regime. And, and leaders have to have the courage to say no. Look, I mean, you can identify as male or female or a hobbit or a Furby or an Ewok or an avatar, you can, you can tell yourself you're anything you want to. But the idea that the rest of us who, you know, think rationally and really answer to God and reality, that we have to go along with your delusion or we'll face litigation, that, that cannot be allowed in America. And we're talking about language. We're not talking about um, treatment of individuals. I mean, we, we, are required to treat everyone with respect, but we do not sure. have to conform uh, to a language, the use of language that violates our sincerely held religious beliefs. And as we have been told over and over again, what science clearly tells us, there are, from my understanding, upwards of 70 genders. How is the, uh, how is anyone to know precisely which one applies to the individual you might be speaking to, and under what circumstances would misgendering be considered criminal? If I'm meeting someone for the first time, if I'm confused by what appears to be one thing but is actually another, how would this even be uh, possibly applied in a legal sense? Well, I mean, it, it couldn't be uniformly applied in a legal sense. I mean, it could never be. One, one of the one of the foundation stones of Western civilization and sure, certainly American jurisprudence is, you know, equal protection before the law, but equal account accountability before the law. And there's no way that it could be objectively and consistently applied. 
And um, I mean, part of what's wrong with our nation right now are activist judges that are not adjudicating by natural law. Now, very few people even understand what I'm about to say. And half the time when I'll, you know, talk as I'm about to speak, people will come up from the audience and say, oh, my goodness, where did you go to law school? Did you study constitutional law? And the answer is I didn't. I didn't go to law school. Uh, My degrees are in other disciplines. But what everybody needs to know is the Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights, and 50 state constitutions presuppose what's called natural law. The only way America works is that we recognize, as rational adults have recognized for 6,000 years of recorded history, that there, there are some things about reality that are applicable to all people and are acknowledged by all people, or at least all rational people. Among them, procreation takes a male and a female. Uh, there are men, there are women. Uh, and so our when, when Jefferson wrote in the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident, the idea of self-evident truth or moral absolutes, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the law of general beneficence, as the Greeks would have called it. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't murder, you don't slander, you don't bear false witness. You can do those things, but you will be personally accountable. Uh, and a natural law uh, republic and a natural law legal system, which is what we still have, and Thank God we have it. It's been the secret of our greatness for, you know, 247 years. But a natural law judiciary presupposes uh, accountability for the deed, not the intent. That's why Thomas Jefferson hated the notion of hate crime legislation. And see, this this idea of compelled speech, that um, if a person is confused about their gender, uh and we innocently or intentionally misgender them. You see someone who is, like I was in a store two days ago, I saw a, a man that was obviously a male, obviously had, a, had a, about a two-day stubble beard, obviously, obviously a male, had an Adam's apple, you know, very prominently, but he was dressed like a female. So if I said, sir, you know, excuse me, that that I could face litigation, which, by the way, in Michigan, this has already passed the Michigan House. It's gone to the governor's desk to make, a, make misgendering a felony punishable by five years in prison. In uh, Fairfax, Virginia, schools are considering expelling students that refuse to go along with the illusion. Uh, but we have to have the courage. If we're going to have a lawful, stable, sustainable country rather than anarchy, we have to say, look, uh, you know, sir, put on a dress, put on makeup. Imagine yourself to be anything you want to be. But on your driver's license, you're a male. 
Don't include me uh, in the fiction. I tell you what, I need to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Hold that thought. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Alex McFarland, youth culture and religion expert, director of Alex McFarland Ministries, and author of 100 Bible Questions and Answers. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Alex McFarland, youth culture and religion expert. He's also the director of Alex McFarland Ministries and author of 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, Practical Insights. Now, before the break, I apologize for interrupting, but we were talking about just the real-world consequences of uh, this ideology that seems to be sweeping across the country and certainly has convinced a large swath of of young people. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, over this summer, Georgine, and by the way, it's a great honor to be on with you. I appreciate you allowing me to be on. Uh, we had 1,250 students in seven summer camps, as we do every summer. Uh, we'll, our organization will host 10 camps next summer. We talk about God and country, we talk about Christianity, we talk about patriotism, but these 1,200 middle school and high schoolers, the topic this summer uh, was transgenderism. And because the majority of these students go to public school, um, I mean, they were very frank that the teachers talk about it endlessly, um, the teachers encourage questioning your, your obvious gender and one little boy, a middle school boy, he said that the teachers, they, they tell us things that I know they don't believe themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even a middle schooler could understand that this is a narrative. This is an ideology. It's not fact. Uh, but what, what's so dangerous is um, in medical literature now, um, they, they're shying away, and I've been reading uh, nursing journals and, and medical literature, both online and in print. Part of the reason that I have access to a lot of medical literature is because I've been married to a nurse for 30 years, and my wife gets lots of uh, periodicals about medicine and nursing. But many of the journals now will say um, a pregnant person rather than, say, a woman or a mother. Or they'll, they'll say, um, if a person with a uterus, you know, rather than say a female, and, you know, I'll, I'll spare, spare you some of the nomenclature that it does, mm-hmm. but that um, rather than say a man or a woman, a male or a female. Now, someone might be listening and they might be thinking, well, you, you're a Christian, you're a minister, you're a counselor, don't impose your religion on us. But the idea that there are XY chromosome males and there are XX chromosome females, that's not religion. That's just natural law. The, the pelvic bone, a forensic pathologist can look at a cadaver and based on the pelvic bone alone can tell if the skeleton was from a female and if it were a female, if that person had ever given birth. And so, again, I want to be clear, in um, a limited free republic, it's not militant autonomy. We can't just do anything we want, but we, gen- we have general liberty within the boundaries of natural law, moral knowledge. 
you can identify, you can pretend to be whatever you want to be, but the rest of us are not obliged uh, morally, intellectually, and certainly not legally to acknowledge that. And yet, like I mentioned Fairfax, Virginia, they're uh, pondering making it a level four offense for if a student misgenders. In other words, uh, you know, a little boy calls his buddies, hey, you know, little boys. Um, that would be a crime worthy of expulsion on the level of physical battery. And so um, if, if you're a Christian, I, I call on people to pray. I call on people to be informed and vote. But we have got to, lest we descend farther and farther into anarchy and lawlessness, we've got to have some leaders, some clergy, educators, certainly elected officials, to say, look, enough is enough. We, you can be whatever you want to be, but we are not going to dismantle our moral foundation merely to placate people with mental problems. And that may ultimately be costly because there are cases both here and abroad where individuals who simply told the truth um, have uh, have lost something. They've lost a political career. They've lost a job. They've uh, been expel- expelled from a uh, middle school girls soccer team. All kinds yeah. of, of um, penalties are being applied to those who, who will not conform. And again, we're we're not talking about mistreating individuals. We're talking about language that... Uh, accurately describes who and what someone is when it's appropriate to make a reference. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you, you know, I, I know from my training in graduate school, uh, I minored in developmental psychology. And uh, I know that for those who have gender dysphoria or same-sex ideation, it, it's always the result of pain or abuse. Um, One of the professors I had in grad school was from UCLA Medical School, and um, I'm certain now uh, a medical and mental health professional would not be able to be so frank. But um, when I was in grad school, and this was only 25 years ago, it wasn't that long ago, and human nature certainly hasn't changed, but uh, gender dysphoria and same-sex ideation was always the result of a number of what we call antecedent factors, whether it be lack of bonding with a parent of the same sex or early childhood molestation or uh, other early childhood trauma, early childhood exposure to pornography. There are a number of contributing factors in either childhood, pre-adolescence, adolescence that can wound people. But Look, we're 53 years into no-fault divorce in America, and a huge part of the confusion, which now really jeopardizes the stability of our constitutional republic, a big contributor has been the breakdown of the family, and then on a parallel track, while you know the majority of kids born do not grow up in the same home as their biological mother and father, um, running parallel with our abandonment of the family has been our incremental abandonment of moral boundaries. Now, there's a reason for that, Georgine. I mean, 
we say that abortion is not wrong and the unborn is not a human and that homosexuality is now commensurate with heterosexual uh, monogamy. Um, the reason we've done that, the reason we've done these semantical gymnastics to try to legitimize deviancy is because humans cannot live forever in a state of cognitive dissonance. I mean, when we're affirming or doing things that we know aren't factual or aren't good and true, uh, we know what's wrong, and we will either change our beliefs or change our behaviors because the human consciousness can't go on forever in a state of inner turmoil. That's, uh, but here's the thing. Lying to ourselves does not change reality. And so the, the answer, I mean, I, I believe the answer is that we have to have a return to morals, a return to the family, and I'll just say it, a return to God. Absolutely. And that the, is the answer for virtually every ill, but certainly this one as well. We are just about out of time, and I do want to take a moment to thank you for joining us and also for taking up the gauntlet and talking about this subject. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people, but we must be willing to um, to stand up and have a little courage in speaking the truth in love. Well, you do that, and you do it so well, and I I really do view it as a great honor to converse with you, and I applaud the broadcasting that you um, that you engage in because you're you're part of what's right with our country. I really believe that. Thank you so much, and God bless. Bye bye. God bless you again, Alex McFarland. You can find out more about him. He's the uh, director of Alex McFarland Ministries. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, news and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines, the party is over. New York Democrats are sounding the alarm that President Biden and other party leaders' failure to keep immigration under control has political consequences. And while New York State may be widely perceived as a Democratic Party stronghold, some local leaders there, they're warning that issues like the mass immigration are not only disrupting the lives of New Yorkers, but the party's grip on the state. The New York Times published a piece on Saturday headlined, New York's migrant crisis is growing, so are Democrats' anxieties, suggesting the Democratic Party may face yet another reckoning in the state after it was unexpectedly disrupted by GOP contenders in the 2022 midterm elections. Former Vice President Mike Pence is arguing that former President Donald Trump and some of his imitators in the Republican primary are walking away from core conservative values. It's a charge the former vice president made in an interview uh, on the uh, eve of a highly billed speech Pence will deliver and did earlier today titled Populism versus Conservatism. Republicans time for choosing the former vice president will give his address at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire Institute of Politics, a must stop for White House hopefuls in the state that holds the first primary and second overall contest in the GOP presidential nominating calendar. Some Republicans in New Hampshire and a handful of other states across the country are questioning the former president's eligibility to run for the White House. And they cite Section three of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That section disqualifies those who have taken an oath to support the Constitution from holding office again if they engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. 
Ever since Trump launched his uh, third straight White House bid last November, there's been talk of invoking the 14th Amendment to keep him off the ballot. But with his recent indictments in federal court and a Georgia in Georgia, rather, on charges, he attempted to overturn the results of his 2020 election loss to President Biden. The push has gained some momentum. Asked about efforts to remove the former president from the ballot, the former vice president pointed out that Republican Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire recently reflected that he fully expected the president to be on the ballot here in New Hampshire. Not only do I, the former vice president said, not only do I expect him on the ballot, but I hope to see him on the debate stage real soon. There's another Republican debate later this month. He pointed to the second Republican presidential nominating debate on the 27th. That will be at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. A liberal reporter added fuel to online fire that a conservative news outlet was duped by a former President Trump impersonator or even artificial intelligence resulting in an embarrassing editor's note. Well, last week, uh, President Trump called into a right wing channel Real America's Voice for an interview that resulted in online speculation that the outlet had spoken with an imposter. Audio was shaky and speculation erupted that Trump either had a cold, poor service or something more malicious, such as someone impersonating the 45th president or modern technology generating the interview with odd clips from Trump. Well, Zachary Patrizo, a political uh, reporter for the left wing Daily Beast, he took things a step further. He reported that Real America's voice owner Robert Sig told him that the company would investigate whether the call was some sort of prank. Well, the source close to Trump told Fox News Digital it was him and the audio connection was poor and he kept cutting in and out. Trump himself has also promoted tidbits of the interview on social media, sharing a 19 second audio clip in which he called President Biden a crooked man. No surprise there. That forced the Daily Beast to issue a major editor's um, note. This story has been updated to remove quotes attributed to the owner of Real America's Voice, Robert Sig, saying he is investigating whether the call was a prank and criticizing network staffers. A Daily Beast reporter had a conversation by text with a person who identified themselves as Sig on a number public records show was once associated with Sig. But a spokesperson for Real America's Voice said that it was not Sig and is not his current number. The Daily Beast wrote Real America's Voice maintains the interview was legitimate. So he was accusing Real America's Voice of having a conversation with someone who was not Uh, The former president, while in fact that conversation was with someone who was not Mr. Sig speaking to the Daily Beast. Rather ironic. No more political blood sports. Voters say that they feel stuck and don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. We'll see if that's what they get. A judge ruled on Tuesday that Georgia may resume enforcing its ban on hormone replacement therapy for transgender youth, putting the judge's previous order blocking the ban on hold. The ruling comes after a federal appeals court granted neighboring Alabama the ability to enforce a similar restriction last month. And as GOP-led states across the country seek to prohibit gender transition treatment for people under 18, at least 22 states have enacted laws restricting or banning transgender treatment for minors. And most of these states have been sued. Attorneys for the state of Georgia have asked Judge Sarah Garrity to vacate the preliminary injunction after the ruling in Alabama's case, which came a day after 
uh, Garrity issued her initial ruling. Garrity uh, did not go as far as to vacate her earlier decision, but said that keeping her injunction in place was not possible after the ruling on Alabama's law. But a three judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which included Georgia, the judge instead issued a stay on her injunction ahead of a possible rehearing of the Alabama case before a larger panel of the court's judges. It's a little hard to keep up with uh, with all of it. Client science must now fit into pre-approved narratives to receive publication by notable scientific journals. That's according to Dr. Patrick Brown. Following the publication of his paper studying the impact of climate change on wildfires and nature, the climate scientist said he left out the full results of his studies to ensure its place in the prestigious journal. The paper I just published, Climate Warming, Increases some um, extreme daily wildfire growth risk in California focuses exclusively on how climate change has affected extreme wildfire behavior. I knew not to try to qualify uh, to quantify key aspects other than climate change in my research because it would dilute the story that prestigious journals like Nature and its rivals Science want to tell. He wrote for the Free Press, a new me- uh, new media company founded by former New York Times op-ed staffer. Barry Weiss. He continued, this matters um, because it is critically important for scientists to be published in high profile journals. In many ways, they are the gatekeepers for career success in academia and the editors of these journals have made it abundantly clear, both by what they publish and what they reject, that they want climate papers that support certain pre-approved narratives, even when those narratives come at the expense of broader knowledge for society. End quote. Brown also noted that scientists looking to publish in journals are discouraged from recommending practical solutions, such as employing practical adaptation measures like stronger, more resilient infrastructure, better zoning and building codes, more air conditioning, or in uh, the case of wildfires, better forest management or undergrounding um, power lines in favor of policies like the Inflation Reduction Act aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions. In other words, there is a narrative. You fit into it or you're not published. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, Saudi Arabia and Russia prolonged their unilateral oil supply, uh, their curbs of the oil supply, by another three months, a more aggressive move than Traders had been expecting as the OPEC members, OPEC plus members, they seek to support a fragile global market. The leader of the Organization of Petroleum Expert Countries will continue its production cutback of one million barrels a day until December, according to a statement published by the state Saudi press agency on Tuesday. The move will hold um, output at just uh, nine million barrels a day, the lowest level in several years for six months in total. Russia's export reduction of 300,000 barrels a day will be extended for the same duration. Saudi Arabia and Russia agreed to keep cutting oil production to keep prices high. Illinois is the top state residents are fleeing due to crime and taxes. For the fourth year in a row, Illinois tops the list of states where Americans are fleeing as residents struggle with high taxes, crime and a soft on economy view. That's according to a new report from the moving company Allied Van Lines. For the past four years in Illinois, more than 65 percent of all interstate moves involve residents leaving the state compared to less than 35 percent of moves that involve people coming into the state. Just two years ago, the administration was trying to convince the world that 
He had influence over the Taliban. National Review reports that Biden has never even bothered to nominate a, an ambassador to Afghanistan, although in October of last year, or actually 21, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced that Thomas West, who had served on Biden's team when he was vice president, would be the department's special representative for Afghanistan. Two years later, it is fair to ask whether that promised diplomatic push amounted to much. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul suspended operations in August of 21, a little more than two years ago today. Then White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki insisted we have enormous leverage over the Taliban, including access to the global marketplace. Well, apparently not so much. Despite his claim to the contrary, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the former director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, knew by January 2020 that his agency was funding gain-of-function research of novel coronavirus in Wuhan, China. A newly released email obtained by the investigative public health nonprofit U.S. Right to Know revealed that Fauci knew the extent of the Chinese coronavirus research before the pandemic broke out in the U.S., In a January 2020 email, Fauci received talking points from an aide regarding Wuhan Institute of Virology research that was being funded by the disease division of the National Institutes of Health. The former chief medical advisor to the president then spoke about COVID-19 at a press conference later that evening. The NIAID funded the gain of function research through the nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance, which contracted the Wuhan lab for the past five years, according to that email. Philadelphia's police commissioner has resigned. That's after years of extensive crime in the city. The commissioner, uh, Danielle Outlaw, has decided to get a new job, resigning her post later this month. Outlaw, previously Portland's police chief, made history by becoming the first female commissioner for the city of brotherly love in 2020. It's been a tumultuous three years, however, with violent crime engulfing the city. For most of her tenure as Philly's top cop, the headlines portrayed the city as a war zone. Residents wanted more police officers, which makes sense since 2022 was the deadliest year in Philadelphia since 1990, with more than 500 homicides. Outlaw is bound for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Um, It was announced that Kenny, the first deputy, John Stadford, uh, would be the interim police commissioner. Well, California settled a lawsuit with a pro-life group that had demonstrated on a sidewalk outside a vaccine clinic. To settle a lawsuit brought by Right to Life of Central California, uh, the California state officials have agreed to protect the group's free speech rights and pay $192,706 in attorney's fees. So they're going to protect their free speech rights, which are protected by the Constitution. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys representing the pro-life group filed a lawsuit in October of 21 after Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law that unlawfully restricted Right to Life speech based on the group's viewpoint and content by creating 100-foot censorship zones around any facility that provides any type of vaccine. President Biden awarded a Vietnam veteran the Medal of Honor, then meandered off before the final prayer, leaving many puzzled. On Tuesday, the president awarded the Medal of Honor to 81-year-old retired Captain Larry Taylor, a helicopter pilot during the Vietnam War, who flew hundreds of missions and risked his life to save four of his countrymen caught in a firefight. Joe Biden just bolted out of the room immediately after he awarded the medal. Um, the ceremony continued on for several minutes afterwards. Biden completely missed the concluding prayer. 
Rolling Stone is still a hot mess. Left media outlet Rolling Stone magazine recently ran a hit piece against Florida Republican governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, wherein it falsely claimed that a gathering of neo-Nazi protesters marching outside Disney World in Florida this past weekend were DeSantis supporters. The article included a quote from one of these protesters who said, we're all DeSantis supporters. However, on Monday, after receiving backlash for deliberately shading the truth, Rolling Stone was forced to issue an update in which the magazine admitted that the full quote was, we're all DeSantis supporters, expletive Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a joke. Ron DeSantis is a joke. Well, to make matters even worse, the man leading the neo-Nazi protesters was Christopher Polthouse, who happens to be a Joe Biden supporter. The truth simply didn't fit the preferred false narrative of conservatives being a bunch of white supremacists. What do you do with that? Well, then Vice President Biden signed off on Hunter Biden's business partners, Burisma Talking Points, an email re- uh, revealed. And Senator Comer has subpoenaed uh, Mayorkas and Secret Service over the tip off of the 2020 Hunter, Hunter Biden tax probe interview. The U.S. deficit exploded from one trillion dollars to two trillion dollars despite economic growth. Your children and your grandchildren will thank you for that. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island, is demanding that Chief Justice John Roberts take action over an unusual interview in which conservative Justice Samuel Alito questioned whether Congress has the power to impose ethics rules on the Supreme Court. White House's complaint submitted on Monday focused on a July 28th interview published by The Wall Street Journal, conducted in part by the conservative lawyer David Rivkin. In the wake of a recent news articles raising questions about the Supreme Court's ethics, no provision in the Constitution gives them the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period, Alito said. White House said in his letter that Alito's comments bear on legislation he has sponsored to impose an ethics code. White House um, wrote the letter to Roberts in part to highlight how the Supreme Court does not have a formal mechanism for handling ethics complaints. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell showed no evidence of a seizure disorder or stroke, the Capitol doctor says. And one of the so-called Tennessee Three Democrats announced a run for Marsha Blackburn's Senate seat. Zelensky has ousted his defense chief as the ministry grapples with corruption claims. Well, on this day in history, 1901, President William McKinley is shot by anarchist Leon Leon, whose last name I'm not going to attempt to mispronounce at the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. McKinley would die eight days later with um, Vice President Theodore Roosevelt sworn in to succeed him. Hey, we are out of time. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. For those of you listening in Seattle, thanks for uh, for uh, listening. We'll be back tomorrow. And for Portland listeners, coming up, Jennifer Uselman. She is the president of the Clackamas County's Hope Garden, the first pregnancy resource center in the Clackamas County area. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're just Portland people now. And I'm so delighted to have with me in studio a leader in our community. Jennifer Usselman is the president of the Clackamas County's Hope Garden, a home for life in Oregon City. It is the first maternity home in this part of the uh, of the area. And we are just so thrilled to introduce this ministry to our KPDQ listening audience and to introduce you as well. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about Hope Garden and an event that's coming up uh, that will support women in uh, unprepared who are unprepared for pregnancy in this community. 
So Hope's Garden, a home for life, is a maternity home. Uh, first one in Clackamas County, praise the Lord. And um, what it will do is give women who, like you say, were unprepared to get pregnant, but um, but God had a plan and a purpose for this pregnancy. So if they don't have a place to live, this is a home that they can come and give life to their children and give life to themselves, honestly, to have a place of rest and a place where they can continue their education, where they can learn job skills and just a, a place to thrive and a place where they get empowered by the word of God and people that love God and love on them and their babies. And we're doing a fundraiser called the Lullaby Luau on September 30th. I love that. And it's going to be at the property. There's a beautiful pond at the bottom of this property and grass and trees and air. It's just lovely piece of land that God has provided. And um, we're just going to have a wonderful auction and music. And Tiffany Cummings from Her Voice Movement will be our, our keynote. And it's just going to be a wonderful time of just celebrating life and how these women can be supported. Oh, absolutely. You and I were talking before this segment began about a study that was done by a local doctor mm-hmm. um, that indicated a woman who hears one voice that encourages her to retain her pregnancy, that gives her hope that the future can include her and this unborn child would have been enough to prevent them from moving forward with an abortion. Yeah, it's stu- it stunned me when I heard that one person. So God is just saying clearly, we need to be the one. You know, be the one in that woman's life and be the willing ones to bring these souls into the world because they might have been a quote unquote accident, but there's no accidents in God's in God's economy mm-hmm. in God's vision. So they have purpose and, and it's just such an honor to be a part of bringing them into the world and, and loving on them and, and introducing them to their savior. Absolutely. Now, the event that's coming up on September 30th is to help to uh, underwrite the cost of this new home, hopefully for the first year of its operation. Uh, tell us a little bit about the facility and what you hope it will be in this community when it uh, ultimately opens. It's a home that has six bedrooms for women and their children. And um, what it will be is a place where they can come and continue their education, get some job job training, get some respite, honestly, get some um, child care help. There's actually a child care on the property already established, which is just, again, a miracle from God. He planned (laughs) this whole thing and where they can learn parenting classes. A lot of these women come from very hard home lives and um, we want to show them a peaceful, calm, God-filled family home and just show them the way to have a life where this baby is not a burden. It is a blessing. Yes. And we're going to just honor just honor God all the time in what we're doing and how um, these women are being treated and loved on and supported. Now, this ministry provides, from my perspective, an opportunity for the community. Yes. Um, in order for these women to be loved on and provided for, the com- the community has to embrace them. And there's yes. an opportunity for that embrace. It begins with this event on the 30th, where you can not only learn about the ministry, but you can also help support uh, this ongoing work. Uh, what's uh, what's the best way for our listeners to connect if they would like to learn more and to be a part of this event? Hope's Garden Lullaby Luau mm-hmm. <laughs> on September the 30th. Thank you. Yes, please go to www.lovingpeoplefully.org. And right on that front page, you'll see this invitation pop up where you can get tickets or donate and um, just support this home and help it grow. We need this garden to grow. And uh, God is going to pay the bill 
through the women and men of the church that that love life. And we are just thankful for you in advance. Now, I want to encourage you to go to the website. You might have already thought, oh, I've got another commitment on September 30th. You can go to the the website and you can give online as well. And I would encourage you to do that. This is a ministry in Clackamas County, the first of its kind. It's going to be located in Oregon City, Mm -hmm. if I'm Mm -hmm. if I'm correct. And, you know, you don't know whose daughter or sister or granddaughter whose niece is going to be coming to that place to be nurtured and loved, to experience the love of Christ as it is extended uh, to them in an environment where they are safe and encouraged and inspired to move forward. Uh, You might want to give now. Um, I I don't think you would object to that. No, we wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, let me encourage you, especially if you are in Clark or excuse me, Clackamas County. Let me encourage you to uh, go to the website, lovingpeoplefully.org and find out more. This is a wonderful addition to our community. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do uh, in this season. Now, tell us a little bit about the event on the 30th. What can folks expect? Uh, they're going to have some wonderful Polynesian-style food. There'll be a silent auction. There's going to be a gallery in the garden of some artwork done by one of our beautiful sisters in our sisterhood group. We have a Live Beautiful Sisterhood Women's Group, and um, a lot of them are going to volunteer for this as well. So you'll meet some of them, and um, we'll have a silent auction, and we'll have uh, music by uh, our beautiful Adrian Bates, who's a beautiful singer. And Tiffany Cummings will be there to be our keynote, and she'll she'll speak on being rescued by love herself. She had an abortion at 15, and then she almost had another one, but she was rescued by love. Mm-hmm. I won't give it away, but somebody came in and swooped in and said, no, we're having this baby. You know, as you and, and I are uh, talking, somebody like that is listening to us today yeah, who is man. going to be that someone for a, a woman, a young girl who is facing a, a pregnancy that she has not planned, that is a surprise. Uh, that needs that encouragement and that move to to life and hope. I want to just encourage folks, uh, Hawaiian shirts are welcome, floral dresses, sandals. This is going to be kind of a Polynesian luau, so dress and and think accordingly. If you don't have that, though, you are welcome to come as you are. The bottom line is this is a ministry that's going to make a difference in our community. Now, there may be somebody listening today who could underwrite the the cost of that that full year. We're talking about what? About $100,000 for that first year of um, of operation in mm-hmm. Clackamas County. So if you're listening and that's you, let me encourage you to, to go to the website, lovingpeoplefully.org, and just find out more. Um, what about your nonprofit status? I know that, that is in process. It is this close. It's I, I'm making a tiny little sign with my fingers, everyone. Um, we just had a couple clarification questions we answered, and it's back in their hands, and so we're very close to being... Full, full. And it's important mm-hmm. to note that the IRS will retroactively recognize tax-exempt gifts yes. um, th- uh, that are given. So that's right. Um, that's, that's an right. important. And we won't spend a dime until we are official. <laughs> I yeah, promise yeah, you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Well, this is an exciting addition to our community. I would encourage our listeners to be in prayer for Hope's Garden, a home for life. It'll be located in Oregon City, Clackamas County. It's the only uh, facility, and that's not the right word, the only home um, in Clackamas County that exists. And I just, I'm so excited to imagine um, the young girl who's going to find out six months from now, mm. I'm pregnant. Mm. And every voice she hears says, man, your life is going to be ruined if you carry this pregnancy to term. Uh, maybe she is no longer welcome in her family home. And this girl is going to have a place in Clackamas County where she can be referred and find a home where people love and encourage her, 
will make it possible for her to carry her child to term and to move forward from that point. I, I'm just so thankful for you and the team that's that's making this possible. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And I also want to speak to, there's another one called Road to Hope that help, has helped us quite a bit. And one of our gals is, is working there right now, getting prepared to be the house mom at Hope's Garden. And they are an amazing partner for life. Mm. So. How can we pray for you? Uh, boy, just pray that um, God just, his hand is in everything, in this fundraiser, in this home, in the women that are going to come, the babies that are going to be born there. Just keep us in prayer and in anything that comes to your spirit, um, we'll take it. <laughs> because <laughs> we know God is in this and it's his will. And we're just thankful. Yeah, to, to honor him. Loving people Fully. What a great name. Lovingpeoplefully.org. You can go there and find all the important details. Once again, the event is coming up on the 30th of this month, Hope's Garden Lullaby Luau 2023. It's the first event that you all have hosted. So be on the ground floor and you can be one of the charter members of this wonderful ministry. Um, And I I just want to thank you, Jennifer, again, for your leadership and the team that I'm sure you are surrounded by by that is prayerfully working toward making this a reality. And uh, we just hope and pray that the event on the 30th will provide all of the financial uh, support that you need to open those doors and to support those women. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I read Douglas Andrews' column on what he referred to as the shameful J6 sentence that I think bears some reflection. He writes that you don't have to be a Proud Boy supporter to be sickened by what went down yesterday in the January 6th criminal case against the group's leader, Enrique Tario. And what went down is this. Tario was sentenced to 22 years in prison on charges of seditious conspiracy for his role in the riot at the Capitol. That's the longest sentence for anyone associated with J6, and Tario got it despite the fact that he wasn't even at the Capitol that day. Well, even the left media can't help but note as much. As Politico reports, Tario, unlike most of his co-conspirators, was not at the Capitol on January 6th. Upon his arrival in Washington on the 4th of January, he was arrested for his role in the theft and burning of a Black Lives Matter flag. Uh, from a church after an earlier pro-Trump march. Tario was released the next day and ordered to leave Washington, D.C., so he headed with a group of allies to a hotel in Baltimore. Today marks 31 months since the riot that led to the largest investigation in American history, an investigation in which more than a 1,000, rather 1,100 people were ultimately charged, with at least 630 having pleaded guilty and another 110 being convicted at trial. So much for the guarantee enshrined in our Constitution's Sixth Amendment. The accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. As for impartial juries, how likely is it that any of the J6 defendants who went to trial rather than uh, copying a plea got the benefit of such a jury, given that Washington, D.C. went 19 to 1 for Joe Biden over Donald Trump? As the New York Times reports, until now, the longest prison term connected to January 6th had been 18 years. That sentence was issued last week to Ethan Nordine, one of Mr. Tario's co-defendants. The same sentence was given 
In a separate case in May to Stuart Rhodes, the leader of another far-right group, the Oath Keepers Militia, who also was found guilty of sedition in connection with the storming of the Capitol. The Times continues, the penalty imposed on Mr. Tario at a three-hour hearing in federal district court in Washington was the final sentence to be lodged against the five members of the Proud Boys, who were tried on sedition to seditious conspiracy charges earlier this year. Three other men in the case, Joseph Briggs, Zachary Real, and Dominique Pizzola, were each sentenced last week to um, between 10 and 17 years in prison, respectively. As for that seditious conspiracy charge, with the state, uh, which the state says was a plot to keep Trump in power, We're not sure exactly how that relative handful of flagpole brandishing protesters was going to carry off such a grand conspiracy, especially given that Mr. 81 million votes himself repeatedly says that anyone who wants to take on the U.S. government would need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. That's a quote. And that's beside the point. These so-called proud boys are guilty, by golly, of seditious conspiracy. Otario well, spoke at his hearing and he apologized profusely for what he did, calling the event of January 6th a national embarrassment. I will have to live with this shame and the disappointment for the rest of my life, he said. We invoked 1776 in the Constitution of the United States, and that was so wrong to do. That was a perversion. The events of January 6th is something that should never be celebrated, end quote. Well, if that mea culpa was meant to curry favor with the judge, an utterly bizarre Trump appointee named Tim Kelly, it didn't work. Uh, Not uh, one bit, 22 years. As independent journalist Julie Kelly uh, opined, conservative judge Tim Kelly condemned private speech as he prepares to throw the book at Enrique Tarrio, who wasn't in D.C. on January 6th and has agreed to add terror enhancement to prison sentence. Tell me, who is the genius who recommended this um, individual to then President Trump? Well, on that note, we're a bit puzzled by how justice is being meted out for political protests that descend into rioting. As uh, was pointed out in May, when Tario and his colleagues were convicted, anyone who doubts that we have a two-tiered justice system needs only consider the rioting that took place during Trump's inauguration in 2017, about which 214 people were indicted on felony rioting charges that carry a maximum sentence of 10 years and a fine of up to $25,000. This seems altogether appropriate for the media, uh, the Antifa thugs who smashed storefronts and bus stops, hammered out the windows of a limousine and eventually launched rocket rocks at a uh, phalanx of police. Six cops were injured that day. But as the Associated Press reported, more than two years later, the government dropped the charges against every last one of those rioters. So riot to support Donald Trump and you'll get 22 years riot to denounce Trump and well, you'll get your charges dismissed. Actually, though, um, our brush isn't nearly broad enough. If you riot on behalf of any left wing cause, you're likely to get off uh, scot free or with minimal punishment. Ask yourself how many high profile, harsh sentence uh, cases can you think of that came out of the George Floyd riots? Or what sentence did those Antifa thugs get for clashing with cops and trying to burn down a federal courthouse here in Portland? And how about those Capitol commandeering clowns in Nashville? They got a trip to the White House. And what about all those felonious protesters who terrorized sitting Supreme Court justices in their run up to last year's Dobbs decision, which rightly overturned the half century old legal abomination known as Roe versus Wade? 
We said it many times before, but it bears repeating till we're blue in the face. There are two tiers of justice in this country, one left and one right, separate and unequal. It is discouraging. And again, it doesn't really matter what you think about the uh, the Proud Boys. I think there is a, a reason, a call for concern, given what we have uh, have witnessed. Well, what is the spirit saying to the church concerning politics in our country? The two, uh, the 2024 elections, for example, Keep your eyes on Jesus and be determined to unite around him in our witness to the world. Remember that there are no political saviors and that politics cannot do what only the gospel can do. Are you sharing the gospel? Don't get caught up in election fever or hype. Not only might it cost you, depending on what side of the political aisle you're on, but it might be a distraction from what God is calling us to do at this point. Don't give up on the political process. And pray for the will of God to be done, not for your party or candidate to win, as much as we might believe that our party and candidate is the better option for the nation. Defer to God's judgment. Pray, do what is right, share the gospel, and hope for the best. That's the best we can do in this life. But justice, true justice, will ultimately be applied by God himself, who is the only one who has a clear understanding of the human heart, and he will mete out justice according to his perspective and his holiness, his righteousness and his grace and mercy applied to those who trust in him. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing Dave King for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.